Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio. We've had some scheduling issues, so we missed a few games there. But much like our players at international tournaments, we are back in the saddle again. Before I go any further, I want to remind our listeners to leave us some positive reviews because we deserve them because we're very good boys and it's the dead of winter, so you should bring joy to someone's life uh, by leaving us five-star reviews on iTunes or Spotify. Uh, Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. Now that's out of the way. Let me introduce my co-host. Dry January is over and he's hitting February like Basuma hits a 50-50 challenge. It's Ben Daniels. Ben, how drunk are you right now? Fine now. I'd February 1st was a challenge. Yeah, that's one of the reasons we did a podcast last week. <laughs> I don't think that's true. It's one of the reasons. That doesn't sound right. <laughs> what was your what was your what was your February 1st? How how did you bring in the uh the alcoholic new year? We went to happy hour at a place that does $5 martinis in Manhattan's and I just drank too many of them in the 2 hours that I had. Uh, at happy hour and then just kept going for just way too long and clearly my tolerance was shot after a month off and uh i have the self-control of a five-year-old and uh yeah well much like much like (laughs) spurs uh midfielders it is probably unreasonable for us to expect you to come off from a long long layoff and just like sort of be be in game shape so exactly i'm looking like bentacore out there just not not up to my normal standards Next up, he knows that the slopes never dry out. It's Brian Ashlock. Brian, you're, not only are you are you staying in midseason form, unlike Ben, but you're going to London next week. Yeah, I will be in attendance at the Brighton game. So um, if you want to buy me a beer for all the hours of great podcasting that I personally have given you, um, uh, then just uh, reach out to me on Twitter. I'd love to hang out. Where can people find you on Twitter, Brian? Uh, I feel like we'll do that at the end, but no, but it's... like right now, I'll no, we can do it right now. I mean, yeah, it's, no, it's, just for you, just, just, just for where me. can people find you? Yeah, it's Brian underscore Ashlock on Twitter, or just Brian Ashlock on Blue Sky or whatever it is now. So that's now, is that Brian with an I or yeah, with a Y? I think it no, is. it's 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 Brian with a Y. Oh, um, interesting, interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the real question is: is who are you scouting for us while you're over there, and who are we gonna wrap up? For next season. Well, I mean, the one thing is, is I I do now own a Pedro Poro jersey, so I will be I will be repping our our original scouting find, our OG gem, um, while I'm at the game, and um, so we're playing Brighton. So I mean, I'm sure they've got some midfielder that we might want eventually. Um, uh, other than that, I I don't know. We. You're like, not going to go to a championship like, match while you're over there to maybe find us a backup left back? <laughs> no, I, I think I'm uh, only going to be permitted a, a limited amount of soccer um, <laughs> while, while I'm over there. But uh, but yeah, um, uh, maybe I'll see if I can find like a non-league game one night and I'll I'll find like, you know, the next Deli Alley or something. I mean, nothing says romance like non-league football. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> Maybe we can yep, find one question. on Valentine's Day. I bet I bet there's some non-league team that has like a Valentine's Day promotion where you do two tickets, a couple beers, and like a single rose. Like that seems like something that happens. Lady in the Tramp a meat pie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sounds all great. While, all while an old man threatens the lives of twenty of twenty year olds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, my other question about your trip is, you know, do you think you're going to go skiing with uh, Roberto Deserbi? Um, I think that of all the managers who are likely to be interested in that sort of thing, that he's the one. Um, so, so we'll see. Um, well, you don't think you don't think like the Scandinavian managers in the Premier League might be interested in skiing? 
you know, I think some of them are. Um, I just, you know, like Thomas Frank, he's Danish, right? Yeah. Um, you know, maybe, maybe he's got the hair for it. Um, and I think the other one probably is um, um, Roy Hodgson. Yeah, well, yeah, obviously. <laughs> it's um, the only way he's still going. <laughs> Just vigorous, tra- vigorous attention to cardiovascular activity in the winter. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I've I, Eric Ten Hag. I was like, I can't remember the Manchester United managers. Well, he looks it's, like he needs to go skiing, but yeah, you know. it's it's the bald head, goatee, flat cap look. I think that's really that speaks to a, someone who, it's who a enjoys. Vibe. Yeah, 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 yeah. So as opposed to. Zarby, who looks like he stuck his finger in an electric socket, and that's definitely how his hair got that way, right? Yeah, I mean, well, it's it's the skiing or the electric socket. It's one of the two. Or, you know, both. Oh, man, fuck that guy. Um, okay, so we have uh, some games to talk about. We have quite a few games to talk about. Since we last talked to you guys, uh, Spurs have played Manchester City, uh, Brentford, and, of course, Everton. Uh, I think... I mean, these games all had pretty different, these games did all have different results, but I think all the performances are kind of of a piece. Um, as we look at these games, Ben, I'll, I'll start with you. Just where are Spurs in their ability to control a match right now? Because I think that is sort of the overriding issue that sort of is the through line of our play these days. Yeah, I mean, not. <laughs> like, we clearly are not doing that at all. I think there was like a, a good period of the Bre- uh, Brentford match where we kind of, you know, put our foot on the game and, and, you know, scored a few goals and looked like we were coasting to a comfortable victory until uh, we blew it in, in hilarious fashion and had to hang on by the skin of our teeth. But Everton, we just never had any real foothold in that game. And even though we, Blew the win in very frustrating, unfortunate fashion. The goals they can uh, they scored against us were both dubious, heartbreaking, whatever. Like we didn't deserve to win that game by any means. We were just straight up bad. Uh, our front line is not possessing the ball well. Our midfield is not controlling the game well. Our back line, you know, is kind of being pulled up pieces, trying to cover for all the all the gaps that are left further up the pitch and all the transition attacks um, that are coming our way. And yeah, it all looks very, very messy. I think the one positive uh, in terms of control that we could take from the Everton match is the return of SAR. Uh, He looked like a necessary addition into our midfield and was able to give us something um, like resembling uh, control over the match, but I mean, Hoiberg has not been good. Bentoncourt does not look ready. Um, we really miss having a ball winner like Basuma. Um, yeah. I think it's know. it's really weird because you know it, it it's very much similar to kind of the last couple seasons where we also failed to control matches. Um, we're just doing it in an entirely different way. You know, before it was score the early goal and then sit back and defend and then, you know, let football happen to you. And now we're we're at least nominally taking the game to the opposition, but we we just don't have like the sort of controlled and recycled possession uh, to really kind of kill off games and, and to do uh, sort of stuff that Ange has done in the past with his teams in in Scotland and in Japan, and and I think probably a large part of that, at least definitely in the Man City game, is just like the talent disparity is is not what he was working with in other places, um, and so here we're just you know we're we're at a similar level to a lot of these clubs, and so if we don't actually then have Ball players, metronomic midfielders, um, you know, that sort of stuff. Like, it makes it really hard for us to hold on to these games and kill them off because Ange's philosophy is so much go, go, go. We have to press forward. We have to keep moving the ball forward. We're, you know, we're trying to attack, trying to score goals. And, you know, at, at a certain point, you have to be able to say to the team, or you have to be able to put players onto the field who are just going to be safe and secure. 
And like right now, like our late game substitutes are, you know, Dragoshin to go to back three or, you know, Brian Heal to do whatever it is that he's put out there to do. To get shoved over by the corner flag. <laughs> yeah. So it's just like, you know, I think, you know, our starting personnel when we have everybody and we have everybody healthy, even that grouping is still not necessarily um a hundred percent oriented to that sort of maintaining possession. We're we're still very much like have like an underlying structure of a counterattacking team. We've got these fast guys that love to run in behind and blah, 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 blah. Um, so, you know, when our midfield, the, the passer in our midfield is Madison, who is, you know, making risky passes, who's trying to break lines and not, you know, Harry Winks, you know, for example, like I, I'm trying <laughs> to think of like an actual good sort of metronomic midfielder, but like, that's that's the recent all vintage. we have in recent memories. Yeah, memories. honestly. So it's just like when when that's what you're working with, you're you're just going to turn the ball over more and you're going to play in transition more. And, um, you know, it, it's just frustrating because. You know, look, it 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 worked out for us against Brentford, like we were able to hold on to the win. Um, you know, it's annoying that we only got a point on the road against Everton. And I mean, like, okay, we lost late to Man City. Like, uh, all right. I mean, the, the alternative there was we'd have to have a replay and another match where we don't have all our players. And that's not ideal either. So I, I thought, you know, that we've been playing okay. But yeah, just the, our inability to hold on to a game and just take control has been very frustrating. I mean, you know, you talk about like having a lack of metronomic passers and the ability to just sort of calmly recycle possession. And I think that's part of it. But I think the other thing is, is, OK, so we have built this team to largely be a transition kind of attack with these speedy wingers who you know, are not outlets. They're not guys who are going to hold the ball and let you, you know, progress uh, everybody up the pitch, you know, and then build attacks from further up. Like we're trying to get the ball to them quickly in behind. and we just don't have the passing capable of doing that. Like it would be okay if we just launched those quick attacks and everybody kind of kept their shape behind them. And, you know, we put the other team under a lot of pressure again and again and again with like these waves of, of attacks, but we're not doing that either. You know, we're just not getting the ball upfield um, to Johnson and Timo with any kind of regularity. And so we try to do this like slow build with guys who are not really effective at it. Um, you know, the fullbacks have been weirdly bad about, you know, playing the balls into channels. Um, and so everything just feels like very, very ragged. Um, and, you know, I think the press has also been not where Ange wants it to be. Um, you know, when we do get the ball up the field, we're very, very, porous and it comes back at us very quickly um so you know i think there's a lot of ways we could exert control over these games that doesn't necessarily require luka modric in his prime but so far we don't we haven't found any real answers to like how we're going to solve this problem i don't entirely agree with that because i do think until the very end of the everton match when i think like I think a lot of our loss of control at the end of the average match was down to tired legs. Like um, you know, like where Charleston passes a hospital bark ball because he can barely stand at the end. But I thought Sar gave us a lot of control, and I don't think it's all the answers. But I do think getting some of these guys back, you know, and I, I, I again we saw Basuma's form all over the place before he left for Afcon. But like, I don't think it's unreasonable that a healthy Sar in particular, solves a lot of these problems. I mean, he definitely made an impact. But the reality is, is like, we took nine shots against Everton. We're, we're just not a presence in their their third. Oh, I meant more in terms of control. I understand what you're saying. That's about, what I'm saying. Like, it's like, yeah. we don't have to have just possession to have control. If we're just like, if we're taking 20 shots and we're just coming at them again and again and again, it doesn't really matter if we're not, you know, playing tidy passes in midfield. Like, that... That is a version of control that we have displayed in matches that, again, still doesn't require having, you know, a, a prime midfield ball recycler um, in the team. Because, like, even when we have Saar and Basuma, they're not that either. Um, 
you know, SAR also helps by having just mobility and the ability to cover ground and prevent, you know, attacks coming back at us. And, and, and that is another thing that we just really missed. We're just Hoybjerg and Bentoncore have been slow and ragged and just well, chasing see, shadows. And it's, it's funny. Cause I think Bentoncore, I mean, I'm sorry, not Bentoncore, uh, Hoybjerg. And a lot of people have talked about this, how he's so much better as a sub than he is a starter. And I do think there's something to be said for like, him coming on against tired legs or at least you know not t- but more tired like you know guys without 100 percent energy and i think it does make a real difference as opposed to like when he starts a match and everyone is sort of able to run around now i think he's better than skip i'd rather see him out there than skip because i think he's a better technical player who makes better decisions um but you know benton core just not being 100 percent really hurts us but you can see it in the match like it was just like madison's just not quite there even though he you know he created that pass for Richarlson. He had a few good moves, but he's not quite there. Benton core is not there. You know, a lot of our guys are just not, it's someone said, I think Michael um, said when we were watching the city game, something that really stuck with me that I think has been true to some extent or another across all these matches that we're talking about, which is, you know, it's sort of one thing for Spurs to be missing all these players and that hurts. But if you're missing as many players as we are, we can't afford, for our sort of all right passers to all have bad games too. And we've been seeing a lot of that in these matches where it's like, you know, I, I understand what you're saying about all these sort of institutional problems, Ben, or not institutional, but you know, these sort of bigger problems, but some of it is just as simple as like when Udogi has a bad game when, or doggy has a bad game. I can't, <laughs> the one one I actually pronounced correctly when he has a bad game, when Bentoncourt has a like mediocre to bad game, when, you know, Pedro Poro's not pinging balls all around when Kuliszewski's having a bad match. Like, when all these guys are having mediocre subpar matches, on top of the fact that we're, we don't have Sar out there, we don't have Basuma out there, we don't have um, I mean, look, Son out there, it just it amplifies these problems that we already have. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right that players individually didn't have bad, have good games, but this has been a recurring problem over the last couple months while we've had to use, you know, our not ideal first 11, it's not just a off day kind of issue like that. You're right. Exacerbates things, but I think it is a broader problem than just one guy, two guys. If eight guys are not having an on day at the same time, I think you need to start looking at bigger issues. Um, You know, I mean, I I don't want to harp on it, but I do want to harp on it, but just Brennan Johnson and Timo Werner are not, dynamic enough players to give you, I think, what we really need, unless everyone behind them is able to facilitate the one thing they do really well, which is run those straight lines and get in behind. But like Johnson had six passes. Like that's not like that's not a he didn't play, basically. Like he was not on the pitch as far as we were concerned. Like that is not a guy you can rely on. And we depend on these guys to stretch the pitch and allow us to get the ball forward. And they just weren't doing it. Timo was a little better, but like, I think Timo hasn't been a real problem. Cause like, I mean, he was one of the you only can only carry players. one guy like that. If everybody else is like having yeah, an off day, but he was making the runs against city. I mean, he's creating assists. Like it's sort of like, he's, I think holding up his end of the bargain. I get what you're saying. You need, you would ideally have someone there who can do more, but like to me, I think like if you're if I was going to target something that's really had a knock on effect on our performances beyond like international tournaments and injuries, it's just Kulishevsky has not been good for like I don't know since December at least, and I'm sure if we nitpicked, you know, we could go back further than that. But it it feels like he is just having a lot of subpar performances where he sort of just disappears into cul-de-sacs when he gets the ball and it's just been like I think that's really hurt the team and that just like sort of affects everything in a way that might not seem obvious but it's just you know when he's having a better a good match it really helps things along in a way because he's doing all those things you complain that Brandon Johnson doesn't do um you know when he's having a good match and it's just like I mean I agree with you like these problems are long enough in the tooth that there's probably some structural issues we should look harder at. But it also, I think there's something to be said for like, there's enough underperforming guys here that it's causing issues. And I don't know if there's a reason for that. Maybe they're all just tired and it's that simple. 
But, yeah, I mean, maybe we get Sun back on the pitch and Saar and Basuma, and all of a sudden these problems go away because those guys are good enough that, you know, they yeah. don't manifest these same structural uh, issues that we've been having. But, you know, I, I feel like we never really found a way to play without all of our absences uh, or with all of our absences. Like we've, we've muddled through it and like, we're still in there and we've had some good games. And I think, I don't think you can say we've played like consistently well at all mm, over the last couple of months, but like we're here. So we have the opportunity now to get, get it right. I'm just. Yeah. And I think if, I think Spurs do deserve a lot of credit for how well they've kept this up. And like, obviously there's some luck involved here, but there's luck involved in any team, you know, city winning the league requires some luck. So there is luck involved, but you look at how like Newcastle have dealt with their injuries, Chelsea. You look at all these teams that have had serious issues with injuries this year, and they're all fucking meandering around mid table where we're hanging in Champions League spots. And you know maybe that's just because we had a re- we came out firing at the beginning of the season and really built up you know some stock to work with. But you know I do think we've handled it generally well. It's just but yeah, it's like. You know, we're not as fluid as we were earlier in the year. There have been some start and stop issues. You even look at, you know, you look at like the Brentford game, which more or less went fine. And like, you know, I think you could reasonably say that in in a lot of ways, you're not like, we gave up two goals in that game. And I don't think either of those goals is terribly concerning because they just came from, you know, a player's brain falling out as opposed to like Brentford doing anything particularly smart. Um, You know, we still blitz them over 10 minutes. So it's like, I don't know. It's like, I think that Everton game, I'm a little higher on that Everton performance than a lot of Spurs fans. I think there's issues. And I think particularly our inability to hold the ball up in the final third is a problem. Um, you know, I think it's a problem exacerbated by all the departures. Like Sun's not a particularly good hold up player, but like if we had another option to rotate in there, I think it would have helped on, on, um, um on saturday but yeah i don't know it's like in some ways we're playing really well and we're executing things really well but we just don't seem to have like we're missing some it feels like there's just something missing in terms of coherence and stability that has really been affecting us for about a month and a half now so I mean, we we just did all the uh, all the shitty stuff uh, that was uh, these last few games, and uh, but one thing I wanted to make sure we talked about was just how good Richarlison has been lately. He's been uh, great, you know, and I, I think we've talked about it, you know, at least a, a couple times recently. But like he after Everton, I think it's ten goals in his last nine games, and you know, I, I he. <laughs> He's been amazing. Like, uh, you know, in before he was scoring some like scrappy goals and like just being in the right place at the right time. But like the two goals in the Everton match, like those are like striker finishes. Like they stand up to any of Harry Kane's best goals. Like those. I mean, I don't know about that, but they're they're good finishes. that first goal in particular was incredible. Like, no, it's a great finish. I'm just, I'm just saying, like, we're talking about like Harry Kane hitting thirty yard curlers into the top corner. Like, yeah, I know, and I still think those would stand up. Like, those were really good goals. You're just against so Everton. bitter about Harry Kane. No, no, I <laughs> just I'm you just hung up on that motorcycle in that office. Like, you're just so. I'm angry. saying those are really good goals. It's you're not, I'm not so trying to petty, run down Greg. Harry you're Kane. So petty for once. I think um, I, I think something that's really interesting, and John McKenzie uh, talked about. I'm not going to talk about it as well as he did, but he was talking about how it's like how how Charleston. It's like one or two touches. He is not meandering on the ball, and he is. You know, it's funny because I think when we talked about Charleston, especially early in the year, and I think we could all be forgiven for doing this between the transition to Angie's style and, um, you know, sort of just the issues. Charleston was having with his groin where it was clearly limiting his play like we thought he was a player that Ange was just like I gotta make do with this shit and then next year I'll find someone like we're either gonna stick Sun up top which we were all very excited by when it happened or we're gonna like go out and get another striker next year and I think you know certainly with like the mobility that Richarlison has adapted to has gotten back rather 
I think one thing that's been very interesting is Richarlson's kind of done that thing that we were so excited about Sun doing, where it's like, oh, he doesn't need a lot of touches. He's just going to finish. And it's he's doing that. I mean, he's just like getting in the right spot and putting it in the net. And I know he's probably just hot and on a nice run of form right now, but he's really adapted to what Ange wants him to do. And I think it's impressive to see the sort of dividends that's paying off. Even if what he's doing is like, this is just a hot finishing streak, which I'm sure it, it, it just is. Like, I don't know that he's had a stretch like this in his entire career. I mean, you know, it, he, he doesn't have a lot of, you know, 20 goal seasons. And like, this is, this is what the kind of run you need to have seasons like that. And, uh, you know, he, he's just, Look, if he's going to run hot like this, it's great. Like, this is a great time to do it while we're uh, missing all these guys. But, like, I I just, I don't see any reason why this isn't, you know, repeatable stuff from him. Like, it's not like, you know, these two goals in the Everton match were, were very good. But, like, they're he's scoring them from positions that he is able to get into on a regular basis on this team and in this system. And I think he's not running that hot. Like he's 10 goals from about eight expected goals. Like it's not like he's doing something wildly unsustainable that I think we can't bet on. I mean, great. I I, I just feel like, you know, like finishing runs like this for uh, a player of his level where I think he's, and and I have, uh, you're looking at the stats, so I have no idea, but I would, I would imagine that he consistently, underperforms his XG um, across his career. I have no idea Probably. if that's true. But that's just what the eye test tells me. And so for him to now be overperforming his XG is like, that's a huge step in the right direction. And I it think... looks like he overperformed in his first two years at Everton. Okay. But mo- most of his career is under. Okay. So, you know, I think we all at least foresaw some level of improvement from him moving to Everton to here because, you know, okay, he's going to play with better players. And so that will in turn make him better. And, you know, we, we didn't really get to see much of that last year. And even early this season with the injuries, we didn't see much of it, but now we're playing in a style that we have the ball a lot and our system is designed to get him those easy finishes in the kind of six to 12 yard area. And he is, you know, I don't think he's the world's greatest finisher and I don't think he'll continue to overperform XG. But one thing he's really good at is if the ball is just knocking around in the box somewhere, he will find a way to like toe poke it towards the goal. And if you, if you do that enough, you're going to generate some good things. And, and I think we talked about the beginning of the season, like, if he gets 15 goals, and I know the extra inch has, uh, has, has a bet going on about this, but if he gets 15 goals, that's great for this team. Like, this team doesn't necessarily need him to be Harry Kane, but like in, in the money ball fashion, we're going to replace Harry Kane in the aggregate. And so that means, you know, goals from Madison and Basuma, and, or, well, Madison and Saar and, you know. <laughs> yeah, Basuma's going to carry quite a load. Yeah, yeah, he, he doesn't play enough games. Um, well, you know, Frankly, it, by the standards of last season, like, they are carrying a load. Like, we are getting goals from other places, which we just weren't doing last year. No, absolutely. To elaborate on the John McKenzie analysis that Greg brought up, um, the, thing, the thing that he was uh, – studying was the majority of goals being scored when the finisher takes one or two touches. Um, You know, goals are scored in the kind of snap moment, not after long possessions and dithering on the ball. And Richarlison is the guy who, who leads the league in those kinds of shots um, after one or two touches. And, you know, that part of that is a, the way a guy plays, and part of it is the kinds of shots that the team is creating for him, where if he gets the ball in front of goal and only needs to take one shot, one touch, and doesn't have to, you know, take a bunch of touches to create a chance for himself. And right now, you know, whatever else is going wrong with, like, our ability to kind of control matches, we are creating the kinds of chances that Richarlison is able to capitalize. Um, and if you look at, like, our record, you know, over this starting with like the Chelsea game when everything went went to shit and everybody got hurt, we're five wins, five losses, and three draws. 
not great. But since Richarlison came back, we're five wins, one loss, and two draws. Like, it's just all of the really, really bad performances were before Richarlison's dick got fixed. And all of the so-so performances with really good results have been in large part down to the fact that Richarlison has become the guy who is able to score reliably and consistently match after match after match. Uh, And that's been enough. And so, yeah, I think his praises should be sung to the high heavens because he really has been transformative in in this period. And and I think, uh, I can't speak with authority here, but certainly in terms of, I haven't, I haven't gone back and looked at all this, but certainly Richarlson is not a player you associate with the style that we're talking about from McKenzie's study, where it's like one, two touches in the box, gets a shot off. Like that is not, I mean, other than sort of, I guess his ability to head the ball, that is generally not what you think about with Richarlson. So I think it's really impressive. He's sort of adapted this quickly to the style. And, you know, it, I mean, he deserves a lot of credit because I think like, we had probably the best striker in the world for depending on how you categorize Lionel Messi. Like we, we had the best striker and certainly in England for like a decade or however long it was. Um, and, and I think that's kind of poisoned our brain because we're getting a really, really good performance out of Richarlson this year. And we're all kind of just like, ah, oh, yeah, no, he's not bad. Uh, you know, I mean, he's really doing a very good job for us this year. And I think, you know, it's even better because I think he's, I think it's even better than it appears because I think he's really adapted his style of play in a way that for a player like him and the what sort of what people associate out of him, I think it's very impressive. I mean, he's on pace for like 28 goals in the season. Unfortunately, he missed too many games and probably won't keep it up. But like, he's not just like playing pretty good. He is playing the level at which he's scoring right now is like a prime Harry Kane. Yeah, And so, you know, whether that continues, who the fuck knows. But even if it doesn't, it's good enough for sure. Yeah, I just, you know, I, I really want to know, like, what the injury that they fixed with this pubis surgery was and, like, what the surgery itself, like, actually, like, I just don't understand, you know, how how limiting this injury must have been for him. I know we've heard reports that like he wasn't shooting in practice or he wasn't, he wasn't able to fully run during some of the training sessions. And like, that sounds awful. And the fact that he was just like toughing it out for, you know, the national team and for Tottenham is like, that's insane. Um, But you know, the the change now is is night and day i think i think the the other thing for me um that i've noticed is that he's much more uh involved and present in our build-up play um you know before he could not get the ball to stick to him uh when we would play a play the ball up to him from either defense or from midfield and then you know see if he could play a quick wall pass to somebody or if he could try to find somebody around the corner. And, and now, you know, as a, as an actual focal point for the attack and build up, he, he's doing just fine. Like he's not Harry Kane, obviously where he's dropping deep and spraying passes, but he's able to receive a ball under pressure with his back to goal and get it to the passers. And at the beginning of the season, he was, it looked like that was an impossible task for him. And so not only is he finishing hotter, but just like his mobility is better. His involvement in all, all phases of play is better. Like he's just, he looks like a guy who is Brazil's number nine. Like, and it's, it's, it's really, really nice. I mean, getting rid of Conte couldn't have hurt any of this, but (laughs) it's, it's, it's just, it's such good work. And it's so like, he's such an easy player to root for. And I think that just gets lost in, you know, you just think of him as this frustrated player who's playing through injuries and gutting it out and just, like, not able to do it. But one of the things that I found really irritating about the Everton match was I didn't think it was fair to him because, that like, he was such an important part of our press and he did such a good job and obviously scored the two goals. But, like, part of the reason we lost that match was he gave away a really bad turnover in our own half, which led to the foul, which led to the set piece. Um, and the reason he gave it away is he was dead on his feet and we should have had another forward to put on there because we shouldn't have been putting him in that position. 
And it really bothered me because he was just running his socks off all day. I mean, that's, I think, the thing that is both the most impressive thing about Richarlson, I don't think we appreciate it enough, is like, that guy is everywhere. I mean, he is busting his ass to press the ball. And he does such a good job on that. And like, I, I thought in the Everton match, which was not a game we had a ton of control over, I thought he did a really good job of like anytime Everton sort of had anything going on attack, he just was there breaking it up, not letting them get too comfortable, not letting them get started. I mean, he's just, I mean, really an industrious player. And that's sort of what we've associated with him is all the other stuff that is like really impressive that he's also doing that. But, you know, I didn't think it was fair that he was on the pitch at the end when he clearly had no energy. Yeah, three cheers for Charleston. Thank you for uh, bailing out our season, and hopefully the rest of the team can get up to your level soon. <laughs> I never thought I'd be uh, saying these things. You were you were very you were feeling very good about your Charleston takes uh, coming into this year, weren't you, Ben? Like just like. I mean, yeah, I was, and I, <laughs> I mean, I do think you know he has turned a corner in a very different role than what we bought him as, which was a sort of wide forward, which I don't think he is a technical dribbler. I don't think he's good enough to do that stuff. Um, he doesn't shoot a lot from distance, which is kind of what you associate with, you know, good wide forwards like Sun is that come across the top of the box and hit a curler in, although he did do that against Everton. <laughs> um, you know, he has been like a real fox in the box kind of guy. And yeah, he's been great at it. And I am, I am pleased to be at least somewhat wrong. So Johnson, we'll see. So the other player I think is really worth focus on in in this set of games, particularly this game, is Vicario, who is having trouble on set pieces all of a sudden. I remember uh, during the City game, and I mean... Like I, I, I've never noticed this in the way I did in the city game. I was like, boy, Ruben Diaz is like really sticking his ass into Vicario all match, and I just remember thinking it was like this is really weird. I don't think I've ever seen. I don't remember seeing a defender just like get up in the business of a keeper like that before. Uh, and you unpunished. know, it got, well, unput. Well, yeah, it's just like. I'm not even saying he was fouling him. You're, I'm just not used to seeing a defender get that physical with a keeper. And it really struck me throughout the City match. And, you know, that's how City won that FA Cup tie. It was, you know, like, whether or not you think it was a foul, like, Diaz sort of impeding Vicario is how they scored that corner. And, you know, Brentford did it a little bit, and we kind of, you know, were able to sort of compensate and solve for it. And then Everton did it again. You know, that that, that first goal of theirs was probably down to, you know... Uh, Jack uh, Harrison being a little bitch. Yeah, exactly. And, you know... Literally backing into Vicar. They kept like, doing yeah. it all match. Now, you know, we just played three matches in a week or something close to that. So, you know, my guess is Spurs have spent a lot of time on the training pitch, like, working on that this week. I don't know. I, I thought it was noticeable um, in the when Brentford played City this week that you know Brentford had an enforcer keeping Diaz off their keeper, and you know my guess is I think we did something similar to that when we played them. But you know my guess is Spurs are going to have a response. But I, I suppose my question is, especially after the Everton matches, how concerned are you about this? I'm concerned that we didn't respond from the city match, honestly. Like, it was such the talking point of that match, of whether that was a foul or not, whether he was being protected by the refs, can he handle this, that, you know, I know we had, like, games of quick succession, but that's an easy thing to say. Romero, someone's fucking with Vicario, you get in there. This is what you do best. Be a fucking shithead. And we didn't sort it out across the next two games. And I think... And was visibly pissed off about it in the press conference after Everton. Uh, so hopefully this is something, like you said, we're working on this week. But yeah, I don't know. I, we better have a solution to it because this is a it seemed like we were addressing trick it. to beat Tottenham Hotspur. Yeah, it seemed like we were addressing against Everton, or I mean, against Brentford, rather. Um, and then it just went away in the Everton match. And I don't know what the hell happened. But, you know, like in Ever- I think at the Brentford match, we were like, Bentoncourt was his, you know, like enforcer. And then like, I just don't know what happened in that Everton match. Like 
I mean, part of it is like if a ref's just going to let them get away with it, which they did, like they were letting Everton get away with shit all day. Like, you know, I, there's only so much you can do, but like, you know, then these guys are just like mugging your keeper. Like, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not really interested in turning it into a discourse on officiating and, and like what isn't, isn't a foul. Uh, like, uh, I, I think the Premier League is kind of decided that goalkeepers were going to be a little less protective this year. And we just have to live with that. Um, but I, I share Ben's frustration in that the coaching team just like, didn't make this adjustment. And I, I think this is probably also a product of us having two center backs who are not particularly good in the air. Um, you know, I, I think, they're both really quick. They're both really good on the ball. Um, but neither of them are, you know, particularly proficient headers of the ball. And, you know, uh, Van de Ven, despite his size, is not particularly good at bodying guys up on these set pieces. Because, like, ideally, you know, you don't want your five foot eight midfielder being the guy that's your goalkeeper's bodyguard. You You want... Uh, you know, one of your big defenders to be jumping in here and, and, and taking care of some of this stuff. Like, you know, even even Udogi is is not a small guy. Like he's he's six foot six one. And I I just it's it's hard when you we're not doing anything else on these corners to prevent the ball getting kind of into this area like you know the front post screening is not working very well like we're not you know uh doing things that prevent uh second chances in the box like R- Romero's header on the second Everton goal is so weak and like back towards goal in a weird way that like why is that the direction you're heading that ball um and I, I don't know. I, I think, you know, yes, Vicario is a, a part of the problem, but there's a lot of other stuff at play here. And, you know, I think Vicario has been so good this year and has saved our ass, you know, multiple times that I, I, I'm i not worried about him specifically as a result of just these three games. Well, even even in the Everton match, he had a pretty incredible save off a set piece, a double save off a set piece where he was getting mugged. Like, you know, he, he kept the ball in the net and then kicked it away. You know, it's, it's kind of easy to forget. I don't know what the English broadcast was like. Certainly in America, the whole broadcast was them talking about what a weak foreigner he was. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, even then he still did a good job. I, I, I'm pretty confident we'll sort this out. But like you said, Ben, it's a little like, even accounting for sort of just the quick succession of games, like you would think they looked at what Diaz did, especially because it like literally lost them the match, you know, that you would figure out a strategy to do that. Cause I do think like, like I get being like, where are the refs? Why aren't they calling this? Like, I understand the frustration with that, but if you're Spurs, like you got to fucking figure it out. Like, you know, whether or not it's fair is another, is a whole other matter. Like you've got to come up with a solution. And Again, I, I maybe this is just, you know, I, I'm a dumb fan sitting on my couch, but this seems like something that shouldn't be, you know, this isn't like you got to crack Pep Guardiola's possession. Like, this is like a set piece. that This should be something you can figure out. <laughs> you have to know that your opposition manager has seen this and knows, okay, Vicario can be gotten to in these situations. Let's do that. Well, especially when you're playing. Out. And then they did. You're playing Brentford and Everton, who are two teams where you know set pieces are going to be a big part of their game. And Everton in particular has a bunch of, like, this dudes on the pitch where, like, this is what they're there for, so. Yep. Yeah, felt very naive. And I don't know if this is a product of having, you know, two different set piece coaches in addition to the manager and just not everybody being on the same page. Or I, I, I have no idea where that responsibility lies and how it went wrong, but it better be fixed by the next patch. I mean, it's just, it, it, it is, it is a problem. So, um, we have a lot of guys coming back. I think officially, uh, as of this recording on Thursday night in America or Wednesday night in America, I don't think any of our players are on international duty, um, anymore. And we're getting a lot of guys back from injury of our, of the recent sort of, slate of guys who have not been able to play for Spurs. Brian, I'll start with you. Who are you most excited to see come back into the team? 
I mean, it's definitely Sun, right? Like he's our he is our best player. He is our leading goal scorer. He is uh, probably our most dynamic forward. Like it's got to be him. Like he he's the guy. And so getting him back will will be huge for us because you know then it allows us some more flexibility with the front. We don't we, no longer do we have to play both Brennan Johnson and Timo Werner. Um, you know, like now. Timo can be a late game sub where he comes on and runs at tired legs. And that's an immediate upgrade over Brian Heal in the 70 something minute. So, yeah, I, th- I think the one I'm most excited for and the one that's, uh, you know, going to be most impactful for our season the rest of the way is his son, without a doubt. Ben, who are you excited to see come back? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's no question. I, oh, think. I, I disagree, but go ahead. Well, all right, you uh, go then. Yeah, Sar, yeah, I think it's Sar. Guy. Jesus Christ, we're missing like any midfielder who can like maintain possession or help us control a game. I think Sun's going to be great. I think Sar is going to be one who actually might change the way we run these games. Like especially after the, like the last month or however fucking long it's been. Like, I mean, I love Sar, you know that, but like, I, I, I think it's it's definitely Sun without a doubt. Yeah, I'm going to say it's Sun. I mean. As I was saying earlier, like I think the midfield is a problem, but the problem starts further up the pitch where we just do not have anyone we can pass it to to reliably move the chains up the field. And Son is that guy for us. And also, you know, scores 20 goals a season. Uh, I think the interesting thing about Son is it's kind of a conundrum. Who is now the third guy? We have suddenly a wealth of options to pair uh, on the other flank, we have you know Johnson, Kulusevski, and and Timo Werner. Um, who do you who do you trot out there? I mean, I I gotta think Son's gonna be a substitute player for at least a little bit. I mean, Spurs are smart. Like that guy's not starting a game for a week or two. Yeah, surely um, not this week. Has got to be too early for him. Yeah, He's played a lot like, of minutes. I mean, we we know these people are psychopaths, and our managers are not always great with maintaining guys, but like. I would not be starting Son for a week or two, and I would like. And again, I think Werner has been perfectly capable. Of, I, I'm not saying he offers you what Son offers because he is almost the opposite of what Son offers. But you know, I think Werner has been very effective out there, and Werner does a lot of good things for this team. And I think you can use that to like ease Son back in as a substitute for the next like two weeks, maybe three, depending on what his fitness is like. I mean, I think managing son's fitness is going to be very important in the next year or two. So I would rather, because he's such a good goal scorer, because he's such an important threat for this team. Like I would try to be a little careful with him right now. And, you know, so in theory, this wouldn't change much beyond like when and where you substitute guys. Um, I don't know. Like normally I would say it was Werner who would fall to it um, because son's such a good goal scorer, but like Kuliszewski has been like, very mediocre lately. Like, you know, I, I would like to see, I don't know how he's going to play there. I would like to see sort of a son Richarlson, uh, Werner front line, see how Werner plays on the right. Uh, you know, I, maybe that'll work out like Johnson on the left where it's totally useless, but I'd at least like to see it. Yeah. My feeling yeah. about Timo is, you know, he is a guy who, his career has played in like a forward left forward kind of position. So he can come inside on his right foot and score goals and whatever. But, you know, the idea for him is that he is going to be more of a provider than a goal scorer this year. And the way Brennan Johnson is more effective on the right is because he's right footed. And when he does get past a guy, you know, that's his natural foot to play a ball across the box. Um, In theory, that could be something that Timo can adapt to to get the most out of him in that kind of role in a way that is slightly awkward for a right-footed guy on the left. Um, he's never really done it, so I don't know, but I can see it working. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I I think figuring out what you do with that right wing spot is is the problem, right? Uh, you know, Kulisevsky just hasn't been good and he probably needs like uh, a rest honestly like some time off to recover something um 
but yeah, I, I just don't, I don't know how much Timo Werner has played on the, on the right. Um, and I don't know if you play Sun on the right and Timo on the left, I don't, I don't know if that's a good solution because then you're kind of putting your best player in a position that they're weaker at. So I, I'm not really sure what the best option is here. I'm sure what we'll do is just, you know, Sun, Richarlison, and Kulisevsky and see how it goes. I'll tell you the player I think actually needs the most rest is Johnson, who, like, you know, I just think he's getting run into the ground a bit and, like, could use a few games. Like, I think he, like, he's been futile and we could get him out of the lineup for that reason, but I also think he's a guy who needs just a little bit of a rest. Um, I don't know, like, having a fit son is a, not a bad problem to have. Uh, you know, I, I think what still vexes me about that front line is if Kulishevsky is going to be in this kind of form, no one's holding the ball up. So. Yeah. You just got to hope that the presence of Sar gives him someone to play with that ups his game and having son on the other flank who does hold the ball a lot better than Timo and Johnson uh, takes some of that, you know, onus off of him and kind of forces the team to pay attention to the other side of the pitch a lot more and maybe gives him a little space uh, to operate in a little better. The the funny thing about Sun coming back too is you think, let's say for the sake of argument, we just swap Timo out on the left wing for Sun. Like the funny thing about it is like Timo gets in all these positions and all these sort of like scoring chances where you're just like, oh, there's no fucking way he makes this. And they're not even like, they're not all great chances, but you just see him like he'll get one on one with the keeper. Like, you know, there'll just be him and a defender, the keeper and a defender between him and the goal. And he's like, oh, okay, like Werner's going to like hit this into fucking, you know, orbit. But like, if you put Sun in those chances, you'd think like there's a reasonable chance he scores most of them. And it's like, that's the real difference between those guys. Like, I don't know if he's going to like, you know, Sun has Timo's pace. Or if he's going to create some of the assists that Werner's created, but like he's going to have a better shot with those shots than Timo does, and that would be nice to have back in the team. If we're not going to have control, putting away some more goals would probably be helpful. So I don't really think that Timo's, you know, shooting ability has been that much of a problem. I I, I think you're I think you're right. Like, look, yeah, you know, in the in a couple of the matches, like. Would Sun have put one of those shots on target? Yeah, probably. But like, I don't. I'm not that bothered by what Werner's output has been, considering he played almost no football for the first half of the oh, season. I agree. Sun and, just offers something totally different than what yeah, Werner offers. At, is all I'm saying. Yeah, no, and I don't disagree with that. I'm just saying, like, you know, I think I, like I said, when when I was when we were talking about it like a second ago, like. I think Werner is a super sub, no matter where you play him, whether you play him through the middle or you play him on uh, the left. I think that is what is the best for this team and and, and makes you better. I think, you know, if you're trying to do the things late in game, like, like Ben was talking about earlier, where your attacks are actually going forward and generating chances, and if you're not going to possess the ball and kill the game off, you might as well at least start creating some chances and, and to score some goals and put the game fully out of reach. Werner gives you the best opportunity to do that out of any of the other, you know, substitute forwards that we have. Um, so, so I, I think he's going to be the casualty for son, but like, it's not because he hasn't been good. Right. And you talked about, you know, Richarlison having no one to spell him at the end of the game when he's run himself ragged, you know, Timo is a great option to, play that role and run around and or just like and I don't I mean Sun doesn't run around like that he's not as good at pressing as either of those guys but like god just having Sun to put on it like if this if that game had happened a week later or Sun had gotten eliminated from the you know Asian Cup a week earlier like just being able to put on a fresh body there who could play a forward role would have been like incredibly not Brian Neal. Yeah, yeah exactly yeah it would have been incredibly helpful because you know, we partially lost that game because Richarlison was dying on his feet and couldn't, you know, couldn't receive the ball and couldn't make a solid pass when he got it. So, you know, I don't know. It's just 
Right. As much as you know, there are structural issues for our inability to control and close out games. Not having any credible subs for two months is challenging. And that, that's frankly that puts a lot why of strain on a lot of guys. And I, I think we're keeping Timo next year because we're going to be in Europe, and like we're going to need quality backups. And because like, I agree with what Brian says, in an ideal, healthy Spurs team. Timo is a super sub or a rotational player, and I think he's a great super sub or rotational player because I think he offers a lot. He gives you a lot of those things you want, and there's a reason he's not like you know starting at Chelsea still. So it's um, yeah, it's hard to know. think of a better bench option for 18 million pounds or whatever. I it's agree. Cost. Like I agree, unless he's stopping you from getting you know a really good player next superstar. <laughs> yeah. Or taking Mauricio Pochino's captain. So he gets relegated, you know, one of yeah. either. No, or. if he's, if he's the reason why we can't sign like a Nico Williams or, uh, you know, one of the, the star wingers that is potentially available over the summer, like obviously that's bad, but if we can still do that and keep him around, that, that, that seems totally fine to me. Yep. No, I've I, I, I've really enjoyed watching him, and it's also it's almost comical because I think he's played really well for us. But like, he still has those like, oh, he's getting one on one with the keeper. This is going to end well. <laughs> like moments that you just sort of like the cliched moments you expect. But um, no, but he's played really well in one of these matches. I can't remember which one. He actually had a nice shot from distance that the keeper was able to sort of palm out of the corner. Um, that probably I think it was a Brentford match where it almost went in, and I. I would really like him to score, hopefully against Chelsea, a goal or three, because um, I think he's been a really impressive performer for Spurs, at least considering what we need out of him. Um, and it's been nice to have him here, but um, yeah, it will be nice when Son is back and healthy. I hope we don't rush Son back because we need to manage that guy. Minutes, but it'll be nice to have him back. Yep. Yeah, it's all coming together. I mean, I is think it? Is by it? this time next week, I think all the problems will be solved. I think. I think we'll be will they? just picking up where we left off before the Chelsea match. And, uh, yeah, probably go undefeated the rest of the season. Yeah. Uh, Why not? Well, I think that's been uh, actually a kind of frustrating thing. And I think, you know, in the way that, like, us watching Harry Kane for however many years, like, poisoned our brains about judging where Charleston now, there's an element of, you know, when Bentoncourt came back in the fall or whenever it was the first time, and just looked like he hadn't missed a game. I think we all, like, certainly I probably unconsciously in my brain, I thought, like, okay, well, when these guys come back, it's going to be fucking awesome. And aside from, like, maybe not being able to go more than 60 minutes for a while, they're going to be great. And I think that's been one of the sort of the unexpected challenges of, like, Bentoncourt looks a little rusty. Madison looks a little rusty. You know, the, like, these guys don't right. look... Pesuma as... just had malaria. Like, yeah. it's going to be... Probably going to be a minute before everyone. I mean, yeah, and it's like, and again, like I think Madison has helped us. I think it's good to have him out. Aside from the city match, I think he's been like useful to have on the pitch in the in the Brentford and the um the Everton matches, you know. But it's also just like I don't know. It's very like it's very like it's it's easy to remember. It's like oh yes, injuries are a problem, and it takes guys a little bit to get back in form. Um, but I still think, like I said, like you look at Newcastle, you look at. Obviously, they've had European football, but they have not managed their injury crisis as well as we have. Um, you know, we're still doing a pretty good job with it. And compared to where we were a year ago, where I literally had to kidnap members of Ben's family to get him to do the podcast, like, this is much more watchable. This is much more enjoyable. Like, even, like, the worst Spurs game this year is, like, not as bad as, like, the shit we were watching last year. So, Yeah. Yeah. Not I mean, as bad as think... the best Spurs game from last year. <laughs> I thought the Everton game was maybe our worst performance of the season. Certainly up there. I mean, I guess Chelsea was our worst performance of the season. Yes. But... yes. <laughs> maybe the Fulham game too. But yeah, like correct. Wolves. Yeah, yeah. It was just it's just frustrating. It was a frustrating week to get played off the park so comprehensively by City, even though we lost in like controversial fashion. Like we were never in that game. Um, and then Brentford went largely pretty well outside of destiny's couple of brain farts that made things difficult to just take that step backwards in the Everton game where we just looked like nothing it was just mentally 
surprising and kind of hard to be prepared I mean, for. Like, I, I know think we're not... in isolation, especially if you just don't give up that last set piece, I think that game is much less distressing than it is because that is like, that is a dice team that plays that way. And I know Everton have been kind of down lately, but like that shit just happens sometimes. And in sort of isolation, it's something you can sort of deal with, especially if you get away with it. But like you said, like we've had these frustrating games the week, the, the, the few weeks before, and especially, you know, what's concerning to me is like, and again, not every team can do this to us. I think that's the thing I think about. Like Everton is sort of well positioned to do this to us, but it's like, you know, seeing these like physical teams just decide they're going to do a fist fight with us, which is frustrating when like a ref just decides like it's going to be a fist fight that day. But it's also, Ben, I think it's something you said when we were watching that game. It's like frustrating to see like soft touch Tottenham come back where it's, because we've done so much in terms of mentality this year. It's like, oh, great, we're not doing that anymore. But, you know, you see these, like, troglodytes who aren't playing, like, going to play, like, don't know how to make a pass on the deck, you know, come in and rough us up. And, you know, yeah, it's, it's frustrating. Getting rattled like that is a, a throwback that I don't love. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's his first year. That's, like, the thing to remember. Like, we are so much better off than we thought we were going to be. Um, it's, you know, hopefully we sort of learn from it. I would like to see us learn from it. Brighton is going to be, I mean, they're a physical team in a different way. Like, they're going to run around a lot on us. But, you know, even if they can't, you know, mug us in the way that a dice team can. So we'll see how we respond. Brian, are you going to make sure we respond well? Yeah, I specifically will yeah. ensure that everything goes well. Got it. Good to know. I I so, have special songs that I will sing that are that are you know particularly motivating to the players, and so it'll be different. That's good. That's good. Brian, do you have any special plans for London as we wrap this up? Do you, do you have any special plans for what you're going to do in London? You know, um, any misadventures that you're going to get into? Uh, you know, look, I am gonna try um to to avoid the ski slopes while we're there, um, and so just to be you know really present. You've watched Layer Cake, you understand. Yeah, no, I I get it, I get it. Um, uh, so yeah, no, no special plans, just you know, um, enjoying some room temperature beer and um some meat pies. And uh, how many photos are you gonna take at the Harry Potter train platform? Um, oh, wow. Uh, I took a lot the last time I was in London, so uh, Brian. that's not true. I took like two. Um, uh, I had, I had Vince help me out with those. Um, I think, you know, probably none, probably maybe mm, one or two. Yeah, I don't believe like that. like 10, but, but I've, won't be... I've met, I've met your wife, even if she wouldn't want to admit that, like you're, you're going to take more than that. So yeah, well, you know, she doesn't like you. Um, <laughs> But anyway, yeah, yeah, it'll be fun. I'm excited. Um, like I said, uh, it, I, I haven't been to the new stadium, so this will be my first time. So I'm really excited to get to see it. Ben, do you have any advice for Brian's trip to London? Um, I think you should just spend all of your time going to like the London Eye and Big Ben and that's like really like where you get like the real, the real London experience. London. Madame Tussauds. Yeah, yeah. I think Madame Tussauds is the fundamental English yeah, experience is what yeah, I'm trying to yeah. tell you. Yeah. I'd say don't go any further afield than that. Like that's where you're going to get the really. In fact, don't go to Tottenham. Experience. That sounds like disturbingly away. It's from so far. It's so far to, from right? where we're staying. Um, but yeah, no, I, uh, I don't know. I, I, you know, I was thinking about going out to Stonehenge because I think, you know, that's not that's not very touristy because it's just rocks in a field. And so it's, who... it's so close to London. So. Yeah, it's not that far. It's not that far. Um, so, you know, I, I think I, I think that'll be the really, you know, to, to get the full local experience. That's what I'll that's what we'll go to. Well, that's good to know. So maybe we can see stop Brian... in Milton Keynes. That might be fun, too. There's a big um, shopping center there. I right hear you might yeah. you might have a good time. We we did go to a shopping center immediately before the uh, sporting game that we went to in Lisbon because it was in the stadium. So you'll feel right. <laughs> yeah, it'll be it'll be just like that. And maybe if there's some police in riot gear chasing down opposing fans, it'll be like a total repeat of the of the Lisbon experience. <laughs> well, Brian, we wish you good luck. Uh, represent us well, and. Um... No, you know. I'll definitely find another new player for Tottenham. I'll report back. Got it. Got it. Um, we will look for your Wheeler Dealer Radio banner 
<laughs> flying proudly in the stadium. Yeah, I'm going to have a sign that says, like, James Madison, give me your shirt, hashtag WDR podcast. Well, you got what you see. What you need to do, Brian, is you need to get our, our podcast logo printed on a giant flag. Because not yes. only do you have to advertise our podcast, you have to advertise the socialism that our podcast stands for uh, in, in the English stadium. So, right, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, because uh, as as we were reminded, looking at old podcast reviews this week, we're somehow responsible for a lot of deaths. Ben, <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> they were dirty capitalists and had it coming. Yeah, but still, two stars. <laughs> Like, I guess our commentary is really good. I mean, good for us. Well, on that note, uh, when you're put against the wall, uh, when the revolution comes, Ben, where can people find you on the Internet? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Comrade U Spurs. (laughs) Brian, where can people find you uh, on the Internet? We did this already. But again, if you want to give me tips or you want to just meet up and grab a drink in London, it's Brian underscore Ashlock. That is Brian with a Y. I thought you were going to drop your cash app when you said tips. Yeah, honestly, yeah. If you Not that kind of tips. I mean, if you want to do that, um, also send me a message on Twitter and I will I will let you know what my Venmo is. Yeah, definitely make a point to talk to Brian's wife about Tottenham. Like, yeah. Like, just really engage her on, you know, the finer points. You know, like talk to her about like what kind of Swedish teenager she thinks we should buy. I think she'll really appreciate that. Yeah. She she would be willing to talk about Hungman's son and that's uh and Hugo Lloris, who is no longer a Spurs player. But uh those are like the two her two specific areas of interest. Fair enough. So you can find me on Twitter at Skipjack0079. You can find me on Blue Sky at just plain old Skipjack. And uh don't forget to follow our podcast at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. For Ben, for Brian, and of course for Brett Rainbow, I've been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs, and enjoy your lunch.